are my moms who love to create. Whether it's writing, painting, drawing, pottery, acting, stand-up comedy, cooking, whatever it is, you know who you are. But I've got a question. How many of you are actually telling other people that you are these things? As in, a writer, an artist, an actress, a comedian, a really good cook or baker or pottery maker. How many of you give your creative outlet time and attention since you became a mom? This is the Mother Plus Podcast, the show where we remind moms that they are more than just moms. Today, we're going to talk about the obstacles that hold us back from our titles and prevent us from putting our creations into the world. And we're going to give you one super actionable step you can take right now to put aside the excuses and pursue your creativity. You guys ready? Let's do this. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Mother Plus podcast. We want to talk about writing today, writing and imposter syndrome. We both consider ourselves to be writers, but I think it's true that both of us have discomfort with actually saying out loud, I'm a writer. It's just Mm -hmm. like people who are like, I do art, but I'm not an artist. I dance, but I'm not a dancer. Like we all have that thing where we're like, I'm not a real whatever, right? I take pictures, but I'm not a photographer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the things, right? So we're experts at dismissing ourselves and diminishing what we actually uh, bring to the table. Yeah. It's something we can all agree that we're good at, right? We're really good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I am. I am an unapologetic imposter. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's me. Mm -hmm. I am. Mm -hmm. We can all agree that we're uncomfortable uh, claiming our our own virtues. So Mm -hmm. yes. So, so what is it that's going to make us feel like we're the real insert thing here? And in Steph's case, in my case, it's, um, writer. I think we all have a thing that we identify with, but we might have the twinge of, am I really though? And so what we're kind of talking about today is like, what makes me a real writer? How do I know when I've arrived? We're going to use writing as our angle today for, for imposter syndrome, but it really could be any of your creative things because it's really about self-doubt paired with the fact that we have a thing that we love that we feel pulled to do, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. I feel like I am what 20 years into my career. I'm not sure what the math is exactly, but a decent I, way in. I, yeah. So I was a journalism major in college. I went into marketing after college and started a blog and started getting published. Um, you know, back in my college days, I was like, I'm definitely not a writer, which you could argue I was because I was still trying to get pieces published in like the Daily Iowan. Um, go Hawkeyes. Yay. But um, sorry, but- mom and dad. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> go Cyclones. Okay, but, keep going. you know, like, oh, Jesus. So, <laughs> um, but here I am 20 years later with much more accomplishments under my belt. You know, I was a pretty, I was an, a copywriter at a mid-size agency in Chicago, worked on pretty big clients like Revlon and Enjoy Life. And um, yet somehow when somebody asks me what I do, I'm like, I'm a writer, but like I say it, but I don't 
really believe it. And then if somebody compliments you on something, you follow it with, but I mean, it's not really, and like, it's not like I am like, I've got like a book out or like any real major publications. Yeah, exactly. And then what's funny is I'm sitting next to Steph here, who is by all accounts, a more accomplished writer. She's gotten much more of her work published and she's actually written books. Um, and working edit, edited, 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 edited. Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh-huh. There it is. I'm like, I didn't um, write the whole thing. And right. And so I can sit here and feel like an idiot calling myself a writer around Steph, but Steph would also sometimes say that, oh, no, I'm still not really like, no, I absolutely. Arrived, right. I, I think that we, we, I think that's the thing. Like, when do we say that we've arrived? I remember when I first started blogging, I worked so hard for that first couple of years, just like, developing a readership and reading other blogs and commenting and networking. And I remember all I wanted was to be a Huff Post blogger. And when they accepted a piece of mine and I became a Huffington Post blogger, and that was in their heyday when it was like still a thing, I was like, oh my God, all my dreams have come true. And I had this post go viral. And it was like, okay, so my life didn't actually change. And my self-esteem did not elevate to a point where I was like, that's it. I'm going to sit here on my, you just keep chasing the next thing. Oh, I I had that little tiny, tiny thing in O Magazine. And it's always going to be a byline, I claim. But like, is that that big of a deal? Maybe when I get my memoir published, will that be it? Like, I feel like we always limit ourselves. We're never going to be like, I'm sitting back and I've arrived, you know? And so what what we're seeing today is, how do you know if you're a writer? Well, did you pick up your fucking pen and write in your journal today or open up your laptop, right? We want to kind of cut through that crap today and be like, if you if you write, if you journal, if you write stories and poems in your head, you're a writer, you know? Mm-hmm. So let's back up to why why we do the damn thing to begin with, right? There there are lots of different reasons why we write. Right. And I feel like I write because it is therapeutic and cathartic, especially in motherhood. There's been so many occasions where I'm just struggling with what's going on. And then something hits me so hard. It feels like I ran into a door and I'm like, I have to write about this. I have to. And I I stop what I'm doing and I get out my notes app and I just like, my thumbs go crazy. My husband's always like, how do you do that so fast? And it's just, I, it's, it's, if you've ever read uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, it's like mm. the idea has entered my head and I literally have to get it out. And if I don't, like my body will go crazy. Like I have to get it out. And that doesn't happen to me a lot. But when it does, I I wonder why I don't do it more. Um, mm. but, it, but it has to be this almost like visceral reaction to a thought that I'm like, I had like, so for example, um, we are, Currently on October 30th, 2023, just a couple of days ago, Matthew Perry passed away. Um, I am a diehard Friends fan, and I cannot tell you how many times I cried over the weekend for somebody that I don't really know. Um, But his death inspired something in me, and um, I stayed up until 1230, which is really late for me, just writing out these thoughts Mm. that that came about from Matthew Perry dying. And um, I can't wait to finalize it and do something with it. I don't care what. I'm just happy that you had to get it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you were writing it, I bet you. So I think that I think writers chase the flow. And I Mm -hmm. bet when you were writing it, you were in 
you were having a flow experience. You were in the flow and, mm-hmm. and it feels so good mm-hmm. and, and it's That's hard so to good. resist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. But so, and so like Stacy's talking about that feeling of like, you have to do it. And, and I think that's the same thing with, with, with singing or writing a song or picking up your paintbrush that like, I got to do this. I got to get it out of me. But then there's this like sort of this ego element too. And I think especially as women, that's a tricky one. Like, what if I want to write this thing and I didn't just write it because it felt good. What if I like it? What if I like it and I think it's good? What if I want to read it in print or on the internet? Or what if I want to say it on stage? Like Stacy can relate to that as well. This is something we have in common, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I know everybody isn't like this. Um, it's unusual, actually, most people would say to feel pulled to stand up in front of an audience, but it's something, it's a quality stuff and I share and I think it might be a quality that uh, listeners share with us, and that's maybe why they like the show, um, is that we are main character moms, Mm -hmm. right? We thrive off of an audience and telling a story and being on a stage and just using this energy that we have that we like have to get out in some shape or form. And when we, when we, publish our words or when we perform on a stage or when we sing, it's like we, um, it's, it's, it's what we were meant to do with our lives. Yeah, like we, we can't, I, like I like it's, it's our happy place. And that's mm-hmm. what I say. Every show, every listen to your mother show I've done, I get off the stage and I see my husband and give him a hug. And I just say, I felt like I was flying. Like I, yeah. I, I, I was there again. I got to have my moment again, where I felt like everything, um, everything was right in the world for me. Yeah. You're, you're, it's a thrill when you're doing the thing that lights you up. Yeah. And and I think I think that there's that little spark in all of us that's like, I want to get my thing out into the world. But I think we get held back by a lot of things. I think our inner critic is probably the biggest one. Who am I to write a book about myself and my life? Who am I to share this this article when, you know, 10 other people wrote something about it? You know, why why my voice? Why me? Right. And so we're going to take that and kind of turn it on its head because we are going to bring you something that we want to help inspire you to get your words out into the world. We are actually bringing you a workshop that we're really excited about. Um, It's going to be a two-part series on Zoom. So it will be virtual. doesn't matter where you live. And we're teaming up with my Listen to Your Mother co-producer, Megan, who's a former English teacher and writing teacher who's now an enrichment and gifted and talented coordinator. And and then Stacy and I. And I've been facilitating writing courses for years now with the Her Stories Project. So we're going to take all of our combined knowledge of writing and the stage and our creativity and, and our passion and try to give you what you need to get your story out into the world, to find your voice and tell your story and combat those excuses um, that are getting in your way. Because it might not just be your inner critic. It might be the other big one, right, Stacey, which is like the, this is taking away from. Right. From the house, from my children, from my husband, or it's not making any money. So what's the point of doing it? And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about that on this podcast many times before. Why would I do something just because I want to do it? That's not enough. That's not a good enough reason. Right. Right. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So we're when what I found is that when we do things like this in community, it gives us accountability and inspiration, but it gives us a support system as well. Because mm-hmm. everybody who comes together to write something has the same insecurities and the same the same, I don't want to say excuses, but the same things that the same saboteurs, the same obstacles, right? And so you may have stories, you may have one specific idea or just a desire to get something out. And if you don't know where to begin, we're going to tell you where to begin. We're going to brainstorm together. We're going to free write. Um, We'll have different ideas to distill topics into specific stories. We're going to figure out what what turns a good idea into a story. What's the difference between just an interesting anecdote from an actual personal essay? We'll give you craft tips, a checklist. We're going to do some writing together. And then we're going to send you away for two weeks to write with the tools that we've given you. And we'll come back on Zoom two weeks later for the second part of our workshop where we're going to revise and edit. And if you want to share, you can. You don't have to. We'll do feedback. So basically, in our two-part Zoom workshop, we're going to walk you through the whole thing from the brainstorming to getting your ideas out, the checklist, figuring out what your piece is really about. How do you get to the heart of it? Does it have all the components of an eye-catching, well-crafted essay, right? And then mm-hmm. we figure out how we chisel it into the piece that it wants to be when it when it grows up. Right. And how and then if you choose, how do you want to get it out into the world after that? Mm-hmm. I think I the reason I love doing workshops like this, activities like this, is that it holds your feet to the fire. It isn't just you sitting at home thinking, oh, that would be nice for me to do. And maybe I'll write it just for myself and maybe I'll submit it. It's like, no, you're you know, committing to it, you're committing to us, you're committing to everybody in that class. Um, You feel like somebody is rooting for you. And also they are expecting you to finish this. And it feels it, it feels real. It makes it feel real. Yeah. And there's just something so amazing about, again, our favorite, our favorite thing, the gathering together deliberately to work on something, the camaraderie. Um, and that's, that's our favorite thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's Stacy and I love bringing people together in community, providing that container we've talked about for women to come together and do their creative thing. And then Megan and I will help you get that idea out, out of your head and, and maybe out into the world. No more excuses, telling our inner critic to shut up. We're doing the thing. Um, and the timing is great because for those of you who do follow, listen to your mother who've attended the shows, we're bringing this workshop to you um, just in time for audition season. So if you have gone to the shows, and even if you are not in the Denver Boulder area, there are listen to your mother shows all around the country. Look it up and see if there's one in your area because um, after the new year is audition season for listen to your mother. So this is the perfect time if you've got an idea that's been bouncing around in your head, let us help you craft it into something that that you can polish and and maybe submit for an audition. Mm-hmm. So and really quick stuff, just the quick um, elevator pitch for listen to your mother and what it is for those of us who are new and haven't heard about it before. Oh yes, okay. Listen to your mother is the live storytelling show that gives motherhood a microphone. It is um, it's an annual event where um about a dozen local writers stand up on stage and read their original compositions about motherhood. You don't have to be a mom. It's about having a mom or being a mom or not having or being a mom. The central theme is motherhood, and it's an amazing way for local writers to get to. Show showcase their stories and their voices, um, in a, in a live event. So, um, yes. Okay. So 
in in honor of of this uh, overcoming our inner critic and getting out of our own heads, I'm going to read you an essay, uh, one of my favorite ones that I've written, and kind of talk you through the process of how I did that. And um, we're today we're going to join together and kick our inner critics asses and get in touch with our creativity and and do the thing together. And I I just have to say from our in-person retreats and um, virtual meetings that we have done recently, it is the most amazing experience to be surrounded by other like-minded women, um, whether it's writing or talking about motherhood, but it's just, it's, we all need to be doing more of that. So I highly encourage you to sign up for this one. Yeah, we'd love to see you there. And remember, if you have ideas and you write in your journal or you just write stories in your head, or even if you just dream about it, you are a writer. This is for you. We're calling it the Emerging Writers Workshop for a reason. Maybe you've had some pieces published and you're a regular and you just need to kind of unclog the creative pipes or get some inspiration and accountability. Maybe you feel stuck. But if you've literally never published or written one damn thing, it's still for you. So I'm going to read you one of my favorite personal essays that I've written. I spent months working on this piece and I felt really proud of it, Um, but it started like I was just writing it for myself. It felt cathartic. It felt like the point was that I had something I wanted to understand and extract meaning from, and, and it was just for me. But then I did feel proud of it and I did want it out in the world. And of course, I submitted it to a million different places and was rejected a million times um, until it was published by one of my favorite online magazines, Mother Magazine, M-U-T-H-A. I've written a few things for them. They're my favorite for submitting personal essays. It's not a place where you submit reported essays or hybrid essays where you're interviewing experts. Um, there's not you know, five steps to learn how to do this. It's just real raw writing. And it was one of my favorite personal essays to, to write, which is why I'm going to share it today, um, because it was an essay that started out as a seed of an idea that I had, kind of like Stacy was talking about jotting down notes in her notes app when she has something either special or irritating happen to her. Um, and so that's what I did. You know, we were in the mountains and every time we'd pull into a parking lot, I'd grab my notes app and write some more ideas down. And then I spent months crafting it, revising it and, and editing it down. And so that's why I'm choosing to share this one today um, prior to us launching our our essay workshop. So it was published last spring on Mother Magazine and it's called Maiden Mother Bitch. The bathroom line was predictably long. My daughters and I stood clutching our swimsuits, sandwiched by eager patrons of the the off-the-beaten-path hot springs. Its remote location, limited parking, and inconveniently small restrooms were a small price to pay for the scenery and hot, healing waters. While we waited, we did what we did best, eavesdrop. It wasn't difficult. One of the two twenty-something women behind us was carrying on as though she possessed the stage at open mic night. I'll have to make sure you get a chance to feel it once the rolling starts, she announced, clutching her small second trimester bump, lest there was any confusion about what or who would soon be rolling. It moves across your whole belly like a wave, she patiently explained to her companion, to whom I had deftly assigned the role of second fiddle sorority sister. The pregnant one droned on and my toes began to clench. I surreptitiously tossed a glance over my shoulder, taking in the chatty blonde, her stylish green maternity dress clinging just so to her midsection, blown-out locks and smug, glossy mouth. 
Her unsolicited tutelage continued. The developing fetus can actually hear. And so it's really important to play music to them, but there are actually different kinds of sounds that Ah, the bluster and bravado of a first-time mother-to-be. Having already ticked the boxes of extravagant engagement, magazine-worthy wedding, and an HOA in a trendy, read, gentrified, neighborhood. My teenager picked up on my irritation as I was practically telecasting my can-you-believe-this-shit silent commentary. I took it a step further. Oh my god, that woman is driving me crazy, I hissed to my children. Can you read my mind? I pointedly asked my oldest, a signal we had perfected to effectively convey chagrin and or mirth during circumstances when verbal expression was gauche. She rolled her eyes and mimed picking up a telephone. Hello? Satan? It's for you, she deadpanned, handing me the invisible phone. The pregnant one continued to feverishly rub her belly, talking about fetal headphones and gestational milestones and God knows what else, as her notably disinterested sorority sister listened politely while gazing, enamored at her own navel. Sparkling engagement ring. What are you, the first woman to ever become pregnant? I scorned wordlessly. Even I knew when it was too much to broadcast my vicious inner monologue aloud to my impressionable children. Well, that, and we were still in a public place with this subject in question mere inches away. So, will there be more people at the party tonight than just us, or... The gestating goddess inquired, her intensifying belly rubbing, betraying mild nervousness. Suddenly, I had the whole dynamic pegged. Clearly, they were here at the hot springs as some sort of engagement party for the non-pregnant friend. Or were they cousins? Sisters without any discernible warmth? The Prego pal sadly unable to indulge in either alcohol or scalding water soaks. No matter, she still had the edge. She was the first person in their friend group to conceive, and she was here to rub their faces in it. Cough. Educate them on the magic, the specialness of it all, the miracle happening right there in her very uterus. I congratulated myself on having so obviously nailed the restroom line scenario, and all within a mere 45 seconds. I was good. I mean, good, aside from the fact that I was clearly an asshole. I totally have them figured out, I whispered gleefully to my oldest child, who was generally my willing co-conspirator in coming up with names, roles, and sordid storylines for every stranger we encountered in the wild. Then suddenly I was flooded with an image of my young preteen self on vacation with my cousin, 18 months my junior. Let's pretend that I'm pregnant and you're getting married, my daydream mirage self announced importantly. We're here to celebrate your wedding, and I'm pregnant with the little girl. I'm going to name her Emma Rose, and you... I shuddered, imagining the frequency that particular playing adults game transpired circa 1990. Then shuddered again that a real-life version was unfolding behind me as the young bride-to-be and first-time breeder unconsciously compared ranks. Ew. As we headed out to the deck, I scanned the pools for the celebratory party. Sure enough, there was a large gathering of folks, including some middle-aged parents. A circle of young people hooted loudly in the pool, unencumbered by fetuses and thus able to live it up, while the pregnant blonde sat under an umbrella, hands primly folded on her belly, of course, while she likely pondered her next serving of leafy greens to ensure the proper brain development of her wallet-sized little angel. Damn, I really should be ashamed of myself. Hoping the hot, mineral-rich water would work its wonders on my bitchiness, I pondered my obsession with these sorority sisters and the cruel commentary they'd unleashed. The kind therapist part of me folded her hands and inquired benignly about my reaction. Why did I respond with hostility rather than compassion? Or at the very least, mild amusement. Any guesses as to why I was being so ruthless? 
I guiltily shrugged her off. She continued on sagely about exiled shadow parts, but I had stopped listening. My inner therapist was a smug, self-righteous know-it-all. Of course vulnerability lurked beneath her blonde bravado, or if nothing else, naivete. I should have pitied her innocence, as I knew what she did not, that after this momentary flash in the pan, nothing would ever truly be all about her ever again. Her poised, graceful self would soon become unrecognizable, yielding to cracked nipples, adult diapers, and a chart taped to the nursery wall, fastidiously monitoring the bowel movements of another human being, trading her poise for poise with a capital P, if you will. Where was my compassion, my big sisterly, oh, darling, I've been where you are, or even a condescending, just you wait, this is the easy part, or all the other tropes I railed against when I was procreating. I'd like to think I might have responded with a fond chuckle or discreet eye roll, but it was her earnestness about the whole thing that really did me in, pushing my buttons with disarming ferocity. It's my sneering inner bully who goes in for the kill. It's because you're jealous, asshole. I had been earnest, too, hadn't I? Sitting serenely in the glider while my childless friends painted a Winnie the Pooh mural on the nursery wall, sipping a delicious mocktail that was not at all disappointing. I mean, I didn't even crave alcohol so strong was my maternal instinct. I had been one of those women who loved pregnancy. And yes, it was the most special thing that had ever happened to anyone, ever. And my personalized daily journal chronicled what miracle was transpiring in my womb and what size produce item my progeny was. Oh, the tiny pink converse, ironic onesies, amniotic fluid-encased hiccups, and general magic of it all. From the moment I suspected pregnancy with both of my daughters, I felt possessed by something sacred and powerful. It was akin to the electrical sensation of falling in love, an incredulous inner voice whispering, I can't believe this is happening to me. In my dewy-eyed maternal zest, conceiving and carrying a child epitomized the divine alchemical apex of existence. I was called to it. An invisible cosmic bell had tolled, and it was time for the next step of my mythical womanhood journey, maiden mother crone. Perhaps, in actuality, I clawed my way to the top of the tower and clanged the goddamn bell myself, so eager was I to instill a higher purpose in my mundane life and mediocre first marriage. Details. Either way, the transition from maiden to mother felt like the most natural thing in the world. I fell into it like Alice down the rabbit hole. While the concept of mother to crone felt slightly more fraught. After all, as the earnest hot springs blonde and I knew all too well, few things feel as cosmically significant as motherhood. Of course I was jealous of her. Combined with the shot of contempt and loathing for my erstwhile fertile maiden self, Jesus, it was all so obvious now. I could almost hear my brother and I intoning, paging Dr. Freud, in a cheeky, if not clinically inaccurate, deadpan. What burned beneath the jealousy contempt one-two punch was the humiliating loss I rarely discussed, secondary infertility. Mere moments after my second child took her first breaths, flooded with hormones and bliss, I had the literal thought, I can't wait to do that again. But I didn't do it again. Eighteen months later, after a spontaneous, unprotected encounter, resulting in a wide-eyed proclamation of, oh shit, I'm totally going to get pregnant, that later went down in infamy as tragically smug, we began trying in, there's that fucking word again, earnest. After six intermittent years of diluting my intention to have another child, I'm just so conflicted. I've really been focusing on my work. I'm not sure I really even want one. In essence, trying for an oops, we quietly gave up. 
At the risk of downplaying our efforts, we did enlist fertility doctors, but cut our losses prior to an IUI that our doctor half-heartedly proclaimed we weren't really great candidates for. Perhaps I never fully recovered from the bitterness that I didn't get to go out on my own terms. The stage clears for the crone, whispering beneath the midlife ripples, promising her eventual appearance. Not yet, please. There's still time. Kindly ignore the preliminary signs of turkey neck. She puts into perspective all this striving and craving and sense-making. She is here to tell you what you already know as you navigate this murky purgatory somewhere between mother and crone. Bitchhood? That certainly it's an embarrassment to reduce the alchemy of motherhood to cellular growth, uterine contractions, and umbilical unity, the reductive biology and insult. As if the connection fades. As if they couldn't feel the magnetism of one disapprovingly raised eyebrow from across a crowded room as if my system didn't silently calibrate to their invisible distress signals. And then there's the reality that after the entire production had come to its conclusion, birth, motherhood, the aging of us all, I realized the rose-tinted flaws of my idealized logic. I now craved the scarcest commodity, myself. There were times when I was nearly delirious with my own autonomy, so desperate was I to preserve the enchantment of my separateness as an individual. Despite that sacred self-worship, the era of the crone looms unappealing from the midlife mother perch. In a culture obsessed with youth and all things ripe and supple, how exactly does one gracefully transition to a role some iterations actually label a hag? The maiden mother crone life stages are represented by the moon cycles, and who truly celebrates their moon fucking waning? Though the better-late-than-never media attempts to reframe aging radiance with delightful classifications such as perennials, think tank tops, jeans, and converse for every decade. My resistance persists. Despite stunning photos of Helen Mirren over age 60, reassurance from Brene Brown that it's not a crisis but an unraveling, confessions that Nora Ephron also felt bad about her neck, vanity and longing keep my feet stubbornly planted. An imperceptible shift begins, though. I pass glowing grandmothers in the grocery store, and I tell them that I love their hair or their dress or their goddamn aura, and I whisper to myself that it will be okay, that I too can uncover power and beauty that I did not yet possess in decades to come. I buy a silk patchwork kimono at an art museum and feel like a sexy and elegant crone when I wear it. I decide I'm going to start loving my aging body, take a selfie, and I'm not displeased by my wrinkles and shimmering grays. When my period comes each month, I feel relieved, and not just because I still haven't reached menopause, but because the idea of carrying babies feels distasteful and exhausting. For the first time, I'm not talking myself into these feelings. They are real. I wished I could go back and convey all this to the blonde woman at the hot springs. I wanted to press my hand urgently against hers, that she might somehow understand what was happening, what was to come. But let's be honest, she probably wouldn't be interested in what I was saying. She seemed like kind of a bitch. Or maybe that was just me. The Mother Plus podcast and the producers of Listen to Your Mother, Denver and Boulder, are so excited to bring you the Emerging Writers Essay Workshop, coming November 16th and November 30th. This is a two-part virtual workshop that will be the catalyst you need to get your writing out into the world. We are going to walk you through the important elements of writing a personal essay that will stand out and speak to an audience. Our Zoom workshops will cover the differences between a well-crafted personal essay and an anecdote or blog post, the necessary ingredients of a personal essay, brainstorming topics and distilling ideas, how to make connections with your reader, the importance of creating scenes, 
finding what your story is really about, and how to make your writing stand out. This workshop is for all kinds of different writers. It's for the woman whose stories live only inside her head and private journals, the dabbler who's taken a few writing courses but feels intimidated by publication, the blogger who's not sure what steps to take next, the published author who feels stuck and needs some inspiration and accountability, the writer who's always dreamed of telling her stories on stage. So just in time for Listen to Your Mother audition season, we are bringing you the Emerging Writers two-part virtual essay workshop. Find your voice, tell your story. Join us on November 16th and 30th via Zoom from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Both events will be recorded if you are unable to attend live. Take advantage of early bird pricing before November 9th and spend $50 for this two-part workshop. Let us help you bring your writing to life. It's time for you to find your voice and tell your story. We'll see you there.